You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Shelly Najjar. Shelly is a nutrition mindset coach, registered dietitian nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor. She's the owner of Confident Nutrition, where her expertise is helping busy women to develop a healthy and stress-free relationship with food. In this episode, we talk about the importance of taking care of yourself, even on busy and difficult days, and together we provide some practical ways on how to do this. I know that you are going to need so many of these helpful reminders this week. I hope you enjoy this episode of Full and Thriving. Hello, hello, Shelly. Welcome to the show. Hi, Meg. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. I can't wait to chat with you today. How are things going over there in Seattle today? Everything is good. Everything is good. Enjoying the summer. Good, good. You were saying it's been a nice summer over there. Yes, it has been very nice. Summer comes late here, so, you know. We're about a month later than everybody else this summer, but we're still enjoying it. Oh, I had no idea. So is your fall not really starting yet over there? It's kind of a mix of summer and fall right now. Like during the day, it'll still get quite warm. And then during the evenings, it's pretty chilly. So we just know to dress in layers. Layers. Love that. (laughs) It's funny. Okay. I'm glad you're in this fall transition. I'm still kind of in summer, fall too. So I'm right there with you. So today we have a really interesting conversation. I think it's going to help so many people who have that mindset of I'm too busy to take care of myself or I can't take care of myself when things get hard. And so I guess before we tee up that conversation, I'd love to hear more about you and your journey to becoming an intuitive eating counselor and dietitian. Sure. So the dietitian part happened first, and then I became an intuitive eating counselor. In my education as a dietitian, I think several other of your guests have said similar things like, hey, it was pretty typical. You know, we're all taught certain things about like good and bad foods. And these are foods that do certain things in our bodies. And these are foods that shouldn't be eaten. And I no longer agree with any of those things. (laughs) But I was working in a hospital, public hospital. I realized that all of our recommendations weren't helping people get better. They were actually really set up, not intending to, but the end result was that people felt like failures. They felt like they couldn't you know, meet the recommendations if they even remembered them because what a terrible time to give nutrition education. So it was just all like not the right setting, not the right advice, not the right support. And I was really struggling with that and with some of my own personal health issues at the time. And It was just becoming this like really stressful, overwhelming, chaotic, like 
disaster of a career. I was like, okay, maybe I should consider something else because I didn't like that feeling of like contributing to holding people back. You know, it's not like they weren't trying, right? Some people who actually like really were excited about it were trying really hard and then they couldn't make it work because our recommendations were not even based on them. It was just like, read this handout to the patient essentially. And so I started looking at other options, you know, other non-nutrition options. I think my dad was the one who encouraged me to just start thinking about nutrition differently. And so I, I just kind of like started making it up as I went because I didn't really know that intuitive eating counselors existed. So <laughs> it was just really like, okay, well, if I could imagine this any way I wanted, here's what it would be. And so that's what I really started doing. And then I found intuitive eating and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is exactly what I was looking for. Because I was really worried that it wasn't based on anything. Like, yeah. it was based on stuff that worked, right, in real life. But I didn't have the science background for it. So that really helped me get into mm -hmm. the, the science background and, like, know that this is actually helpful, more helpful even than, like, our standard nutrition recommendations. That's for, so for the, funny. Yeah. I so, love that you invented intuitive eating in your head before yeah. you found it. That is the story of my life in, on so many levels. Like, I swear I invented set point theory in my head, like when I was going through recovery and I thought I was the first one to invent eating disorder recovery coaching, but then I found the Carolyn Costin certification. So yeah, it's funny when you like are trying to fill a need and you're already like, oh, well, okay, somebody's already put a name to that and this is way easier now. Right. It's like if you didn't know, right, you have to make it up based on what you are pretty sure works because of observation. Like that's how all of these things came about anyway, right? It's like, hey, somebody, the scientific process, right? We observed some stuff happening and we made some guesses and then we kept going and changing it along the way. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I love that because I think it is the same process as everything else. Like, hey, if you're trying to figure out like how to do intuitive eating, it's a series of observations and experimentations and changing it as you go. Like, it's all the same. That's true. There's a lot of experimentation and observation and courage and taking action and watching the results and recalculating that in a way, recalibrating. So, yeah, that's so interesting. Well, okay. So, you found intuitive eating, and I assume the career just kind of made more sense to you after that. Yeah. So, then I stayed in nutrition. Now, I'm helping people, women specifically, to develop that healthier and joyful relationship with their food because I think you know and your listeners know that it could be possible or at least on our good days we know it's possible or could be possible right and I think it can be really helpful for somebody especially somebody who has studied these things like you and me to hold that hope for other people too mm -hmm. saying like hey this is possible right you can be healthy you can be joyful mm -hmm. around your food and your body and your life like it is possible. Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, I appreciate you sharing your background. And, you know, it's so funny. Like one thing I find listeners here struggle with and my clients struggle with is like, they will come to me in a session. Maybe it's like a week where they're on vacation or something, or maybe they're taking time off from work and they come and they're doing all the recovery work and they're really trying really hard. And then, you know, it's just like, the scene is set for them to do well. And then a busy day occurs or an emotionally difficult day occurs. And then all of that stuff that they have worked really hard to maintain gets kind of swept like with a giant wave, right? It just 
goes tumbling, crashing down like a giant wave has hit their life, right? And so I guess what I really want to talk to you about today is like, how can people strengthen their recoveries and their relationship with the intuitive eating, even on those really busy days or those stressful days? Because that's what matters the most. And so why do you think it's so difficult for people to like nourish their bodies or take care of themselves on busy days? I think there's a lot of reasons. The first one that comes to mind that I hear a lot is we just don't understand the importance of it. Not as in like we don't understand that our body is important or we don't understand that nutrition is important, but we don't understand that nourishing ourselves physically is going to help us with the rest of that busy day. So it's how is it going to help me today or how is it going to help me in this moment? Not like generically. I think that's why we get the guilt. We know generically, you know, big overarching thing that it's important, right? That's the whole message that we get from everywhere. Your health is important. But is it important like 20 years from now or is it important today? Like how important is it today in my busy day? How is it going to help me think better? How is it going to help me feel better? How is it going to help me manage my emotions you know, in a more smooth way so that this day kind of takes the edge off. So it's not like the most overwhelming day I've ever had in my life, combined with the fact that I can't think now because I'm hungry. It's now just like the most overwhelming day, right? And maybe I have a little bit more brain power to help me get through that day. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, that is such a good point. The idea of like that reminder that, you know, keeping eating today in the forefront because it will actually help that busy day improve. But I find people are very avoidant. Like even if they don't have an eating disorder, if they have a very busy day, for some reason, taking care of themselves is put on the lowest rung, right? It's like the bottom level, like, oh, I have all of these things to do and I don't know if I have time for myself. And I see that a lot. I don't know if that's something you've come into as well. Yeah, I think there's a combination of physical factors and mindset going on there. For Mm. a lot of my clients, there's like the physical factors of like, I've been in this pattern so long, I don't actually remember what it feels like to be hungry when I'm super busy because I'm overriding those signals, right? I'm so used to ignoring Mm. those signals. Mm. I'm so used to not stopping in to check if I need something or just like powering through the discomfort, whatever that discomfort is. And I have some examples. So that's the first one. It's like, if we're talking about the physical part, like I think we're in this habit, societally, we're in this habit of ignoring ourselves and our physical needs. And I think it connects to the other piece of like, if it was something that we felt like it was more important, this was where the mindset piece comes in a little bit, then it would become a little bit more important to check in with ourselves more regularly, but we don't. So then we think, no, I have to X, Y, Z first. Then afterwards I could, you know, sleep. I have to finish this project, then I can sleep. I have to finish this thing, email, these three emails, which becomes more emails before I eat lunch or whatever it is, right? Like if there's always that process of pushing it back and it's just that habit now. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So you were saying you had other examples too. So that was your first example. Yeah, yeah. The bathroom one is is a good one too. Like how often are you actually paying attention to your need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> Sometimes we hold it, like we'll hold it all day. 
And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to pee so bad. <laughs> but you don't notice because you didn't check in or you knew. You knew you had those signals and then you just kept ignoring them because it wasn't a good time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it might be inconvenient. That's not how the body works. The body's not like, well, this is a convenient time. Let me schedule this in. We are like that, but our bodies don't have that schedule like this. <laughs> and you were talking about how, you know, our society kind of sets us up to not check in with ourselves. Like they make it not a priority for us. So, you know, what are some of the problematic messages that you find people come to you with that they have to unlearn related to self-care and rest and productivity? Yeah, I think one is that piece that we've kind of touched on a little bit, that self-care and rest is not productive or kind of that idea of like, you must be productive at all times. If we let go of that belief that we have to be maximum productivity at all times, it would be a lot easier to rest. It would be a lot easier to take care of ourselves. I think there's a lot of people who feel like self-care is only important if it allows me to become more productive, right? So they do the pieces of self-care that they like because they can see that direct correlation to how much output they have or how much they can handle this thing. But again, that's only seeing part of that benefit. And we're whole people, right? We're not just like this little machine that outputs things. So if we're only thinking of ourselves as machines and expecting that we need the same thing every day, you know, and then like once a month we'll need a total clean out and once a month we'll need a maintenance check, you know, that doesn't work for human beings because we're not just this like biological machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's actually funny you bring this up. People will sometimes do self-care, but they have this motive where they still think it's tied to productivity, which I hadn't really thought of before. But I'm guilty of that too sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, well, I think I need to do this meditation so that I can visualize the success of my business. And it's like, I'm calling it self-care, but it's still trying to be productive. Yeah, I think there's a very big difference between doing self-care as a way of like nourishing yourself Mm -hmm. versus basically like, kind of like a continuing education. It, it's like learning for fun versus learning for your continuing education that you need for your job, right? For <laughs> yeah. your licensing or something yeah. like that. It's a very different feeling. It might still be fun, but learning for fun is going to be fulfilling in a way that continuing ed may not touch on, right? It's funny. It's kind of like when I relate to that comparison when, you know, I used to read, but it was all self-help slash entrepreneurial books right? So I'm engaging in self-care-ish, but I'm still trying to be productive. I've been so called out by what you're sharing right now because I used to do that. And then I felt this really major shift when I started reading like fiction books with stories and plot lines and characters that were interesting and like really far out concepts. And that was when I really felt the benefit of that form of self-care and rest was when my brain actually got a break as well. Yeah. And it's a different kind of engagement, right? You're engaging your imagination in that like fantastical, awe-inspiring, creative kind of way, rather than like engaging that imagination of what you could become in the future, which is also good to a point. But if that's the environment you're soaking in all the time, I think the danger for me and for some of the other people that I talk to about this is like, at what point are you going to be okay with where you are? 
Like, mm-hmm. is that threatening your acceptance of yeah. the now? Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Wow. So what are some of the other problematic messages that you find people take on? One is that self-care has to look a certain way or nourishment has to look a certain way. And that's why we feel like it can never fit or we can't ever do it or it's not that important because we haven't actually made it our own. and We haven't actually made it fit our lives and our goals, right? If you're always thinking about self-care as a bubble bath or you know, fiction reading, but maybe you actually hate reading fiction because your brain just doesn't work that way or you can't follow a plot line, for example, or something like that. Don't choose those, right? Like, do something else. <laughs> do something different. Yeah, it's okay. Know. Yeah. That's such a good point. I also think of the example of how, you know, sometimes in recovery, it is helpful for people to do meal prep. Like if they have a really busy job and I've had folks in my practice say that what holds them back from meal prepping is the idea of meal prepping that they see online. Like it has to be in the perfect containers and it has to be like just visually this perfect look of a meal prep. And that is the barrier. And that Mm -hmm. needs to be unlearned as well. Like that imperfection of self-care isn't really portrayed out in the world. Totally. And I agree with you. Meal prepping can be a form of self-care, especially when you have a team and support and like people checking in and you're being really honest. I know you had mentioned, Meg, in a previous episode of like, hey, if you're honest with yourself, right, if you're feeling stuck and you're honest with yourself and you realize like, no, actually meal prepping in this case, like has gotten a little twisted with that eating disorder. Great. Use your support. Check in with yourself about that. However, I think for a lot of people, especially when we're busy, especially when we have a lot going on, whether that's emotional or just schedule or whatever, meal prepping or at least some light preparation, like it doesn't have to be a whole meal, right? It doesn't have to be the fancy Tupperwares, the glass, and they're all arranged (laughs) in your refrigerator, et cetera. Even if you have historically meal prepped and then lost the meals in the refrigerator, because like if there's anybody else with ADD, like that can happen a lot, or you change your mind a lot, like maybe you just don't like leftovers and you're essentially making a week's worth of leftovers ahead of time and that doesn't work for you that's fine you can work around those things because it doesn't have to look like instagram right (laughs) because it doesn't have to look like pinterest because it doesn't have to look like whatever book that you are looking at with all those nice pictures you know saving it on your kitchen it doesn't have to be that it Mm. can be something that is much more practical for you it could even just be a list like on a sticky note Mm. it really varies and that's one of the things that I work with my clients and other people with so have more tips if you want to dive into that (laughs) we will (laughs) diving into those so another question I have for you is like are there any misconceptions or common challenges that people face when they try to integrate intuitive eating into their daily routines and how can they overcome that Hey, full and thriving fam. I wanted to let you in on something super exciting. We're welcoming new members inside the Recovery Collective for a limited time between September 20th and October 1st. Be sure to mark your calendars and go to recoverycollective.mykajabi.com to get on the wait list. Curious to know what it's like inside? Here's what our current members are saying. My favorite part about the Recovery Collective is that as of joining about a year ago, 
I finally realized how important it is to have a community in recovery. It was definitely a turning point for me to finally talk to someone who's understanding. The people in the recovery collective are some of the most lovely, supportive people I've ever met. If you're thinking about joining the recovery collective, I have two words to say to you. Do it. Literally just give it a chance. I think you will be surprised in the most wonderful way. Make the jump and join. It's honestly one of the best things I ever did. And I've made some of my best friends from around the world. It's a safe place for me. I know I can say anything and never get judged for it. And I feel that we all truly care about each other. Well, there you have it. Our members have spoken. And I might be a little biased, but I think our community is pretty great too. For more information, check out the link in the show notes and make sure you sign up for the waiting list so you can be the first to join our community between September 20th and October 1st. Sure. So I'm going to say what the two of them are and then maybe we'll take them piece by piece. I'm going to say them so I don't forget them. So I think one of the biggest ones is that intuitive eating, if you've ever looked it up or read the book or whatever, it has 10 principles. And those 10 principles, I don't feel like actually have to be memorized or acted on all at the same time <laughs> or, you know, done in order or whatever. So that's one of my big ones, especially depending on where you are in your recovery. And then the second one is it isn't just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're not or you know, eat all the cookies and ignore the carrots or whatever. So yeah, I'm happy to dive into both of those, but I just <laughs> yeah. wanted to get them out so I could actually like, yeah. order my brain. Please do. Okay. Let's dive in. All right. So the first one, and I think it's really important anytime we're talking about recovery and like where people are in their journeys, you know, whether you've had like a diagnosed eating disorder or maybe we're just into the like, hey, I'm recognizing that my way of eating is probably not normal or healthy, that we're really careful with just taking on intuitive eating as another diet, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's this pressure to say, especially when we're looking at it through that 10 principles lens, it's like, these are the 10 steps that I must do every time I eat or every time I think about food or whatever it is, and it becomes another diet. It becomes this like, well, that's not pure IE or pure intuitive eating, right? We're eating in the real world, Mm -hmm. And especially when we're busy, especially when we have a lot going on, the pressure that we're putting on ourselves is way too much. Intuitive eating is just the way that we were eating before we learned all this weird diety things. Intuitive eating is really just the way that we are eating as human beings. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. So we don't have to like put all this pressure to follow, you know, 10 step diets of intuitive yeah, eating. It's not yeah. a diet. It's yeah. funny how people like to hijack those 10 steps and turn it into another form of a diet or they find intuitive eating. They want to like lose weight that way. And we're like, that doesn't really make any sense. But for people who are really busy, like how could they start being more intuitive with food? Like how do they stick to that even on their busiest days or their most difficult days? Yeah. I call this my one question, like Lord of the Rings with the one ring to rule them all. <laughs> my one question that I go to a lot is, what is the most nourishing thing I can do for me right now? Ooh. What is the most nourishing thing I can do for me right now? I love that because it's not just about eating. It's about 
what you need. It's a prettier way of saying, what do I need right now? Yes, because sometimes we don't know what we need right now, right? Yeah. And so sometimes the most nourishing thing, and again, the pressure, it doesn't have to be the most nourishing thing. It can be whatever one that you think of first. Try some stuff, experiment with it. It gets you going. It gets you back into your body. It gets you trying to figure out like, hey, I'm paying attention to myself as a being that needs nourishment, right? Rather than the machine that needs to output. And I think that it can be more accessible than trying to say, am I hungry? Do I need to do something like... If that's too difficult of a question, though, because I think sometimes, depending on where we are that day or that moment, that can feel like a lot of pressure. So it's okay to just say, am I uncomfortable or comfortable right now? Mm -hmm. And then where, you know, or how and build it from there instead of having to just like have this one question. Like that one question works a lot of times, but sometimes that's not what you need, right? Sometimes the most nourishing thing will be to ask a different question or ask an easier question in that moment. Mm. And that's okay too. And I think probably one of the biggest principles, right, is moving away from the way things have to be done or should be done in like this really either or kind of structured scenario to saying, how can I make this easier or more supportive for me in this moment? Like where I am right now in the situation I am right now. Mm -hmm. I like this. It's really like the art of checking in with yourself. That's really what you're describing is, you know, starting with the one question, the one to rule them all. What is the most nourishing thing for me right now? And if that's too hard, taking a moment to ask, am I comfortable or not right now? That's an interesting place to take it too, because that kind of gives you a place to check in with your mentality, with your, you know, your emotions, your body, your physical sensations. Like, so I could imagine that being a very helpful way for someone to start checking with themselves if if it feels too hard. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you're just saying, I'm going to check in with myself, right? Like sometimes that is the easiest next step, right? It, there's a, a phrase called barriers, like barriers to entry, right? Or barriers to a specific change or whatever. I and mean, that's what we're talking about, right? Is like breaking down those barriers, making it as simple as possible. So whenever we can make that even smaller, like if that's too big of a thing, checking in with your uncomfortable or comfortable, or if it, like depending on the day, sometimes that feels like a very brave thing to do, checking in to see where you're uncomfortable So sometimes you can just say like, I'm checking in or I'm going to see how a breath feels and just take a deep breath and see how that feels. Mm -hmm. That whatever it is, depending on where you are in that moment, that can be very helpful is just to be in your body in that moment. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel like checking in with yourself is so important? It's hard to take care of ourselves if we don't know what we need and (laughs) checking in with ourselves is one of a really great way of figuring out what we need. And sometimes it's by figuring out that we are uncomfortable and we don't exactly know what it is that's uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have to try some stuff. It's like when a baby cries, you know they're uncomfortable, you know they want something, but the parents are going to have to guess, right? They're going to go through their list of things that it could be. Check the diaper, check the food, check the, we know, like they just go through and you can do that too. Do you need to pee? Do you need to eat? Do you need to, you know, you just go through that process and It seems really basic, but I think that's often what gets missed when we're busy or when there's a lot going on. We miss those basic things because most of the time we're not thinking about them as far as like the nourishment piece, whole body nourishment. I'm not talking about the food piece. I think sometimes we think 
way too much about the food piece and not enough about the everything else. But when we're busy, often the things that are automatic get dropped, right? Mm-hmm. Or we go back to other automatic behaviors that are like way more ingrained. And those aren't necessarily our most healthy behaviors that we would like to move forward with. So being able to check in helps you figure out where you are in that and figure out where you want to be next, right? Mm-hmm. It's so true. Like when someone's recovering from an eating disorder, when things get really hard, they end up reverting to those old patterns much quicker. Like they're not feeling safe. So the old patterns kind of help them feel a little bit more safe because things are hard, right? And so there is this moment of like clarity that I try to help my clients find when they're like, they're on that edge of using an old behavior or not. And that is the pause, which is really the moment where people check in. So the power of checking in is, so important in this process and being able to ask yourself, what do I need right now? What is the most nourishing thing for me? And allowing that to that answer to be valid, no matter what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that self-compassion and lack of judgment, right? That self-judgment comes in, says, no, I can't actually need that. No, I can't actually eat mm-hmm. because I just ate. Well, yeah. But if you had to pee and you just peed, you wouldn't be like, well, no, I just peed, so I can't have need to pee again. Like, well, maybe it didn't all come out, right? Like, that's fine. Maybe something else is going on. Maybe you got really nervous. Maybe you got really cold. There's a lot of reasons why it might happen again. It's inconvenient, but it's not necessarily like a missed signal, right? So I think that's one of those things where you said, you know, whatever the answer is, let that be okay. Let that be valid. Yeah, I think sometimes we talk ourselves out of the things that we need. And Mm -hmm. that can be another reason why it's helpful to like say it out with somebody else because sometimes it's easier for them to hear it than for you to hear it unless you're like really checking in on that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what do you have to say to the people who struggle with powering through it and they have this mentality? How do people start to break away from that mentality? Like that busyness, like, oh, I can just power through the day And, you know, hey, what do you know? How convenient I didn't need lunch today because I just powered through it and didn't check in with my body. Like, how do people overcome that, that mindset, which is so much based in that, like, productivity, like, trap? Yeah, I think it comes from a couple of things, right? One is making sure that you are addressing that mindset piece of, like, where's your identity coming from? Is your identity only coming from how much you can do instead of just who you are as a person? Like you have worth as a human being and that doesn't change based on how much you output, right? Mm -hmm. Your worth as a worker or as a, you know, functional person in whatever that capacity is. Yes, that may change, right? We talk about, you know, did that person do their job, right? Okay. But it doesn't mean that person as a person is worth less than a person who did their job, mm-hmm. right? And changing that mindset around my productivity will always be the same every single day, no matter what. Because mm. we even know that doesn't work, even for cars, right? Like when you're driving a car, it might not start the same way when it's really cold out that it would when it's like a little warmer out, right? We know that. We don't expect it to start the same way, but mm. that's a performance thing. And we're not saying like, well, I have to get rid of my car or I can't, you know, treat my car to some gas today because it was harder to start. 
(laughs) Sometimes it's harder to get out of bed in the morning. Sometimes it's harder to do your job in the day. Sometimes it's harder to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, right? Understanding. And and so there's little mindset things like that. And then there's the practical pieces too. Mm -hmm. I love that. So you're getting into some tips earlier about like how people can take care of themselves on busy days. So do you have any other tips for folks who struggle with nourishment, for instance, on really busy days or really difficult days? Yeah, absolutely. I think it touches on that, making sure that you're doing something that works for you, right? So mm-hmm. it's okay to use shortcuts. It's okay mm-hmm. to use the microwave if you have one. Use pre-chopped stuff or like pre-packaged mm-hmm. things or it's okay to make one meal. And if you really like that meal, it's okay to eat it three or four times, you know, like go for it. Like, yes, we want variety in general, but if we're talking about like a short term, this is a busy day or a busy week or season, it's not going to harm you probably. And I'm saying this generally speaking, right? So like, this is not specific to you listener. You have to have somebody who knows your personal situation, but like in general, it's okay to do those things. It's okay to eat some microwave meal because that makes sense for you in that moment. And it's better than not eating. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing I encourage people to remember is like nourishing your body is sometimes about eating something. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter as much in that moment what it is. If that's an all the time thing, then there's likely other like larger patterns and other things going on that you can work with somebody to identify or like work through and make some more long-term strategies for. But in the short term, and and, you know, you can always vary what you make in the microwave, right? You can vary what you eat, you know, the quick meals that you make and eat or like even peanut butter and jelly or whatever you enjoyed as a kid. A lot of times those are quick meals and a lot of times they're pretty cheap too. Mm -hmm. So that's a bonus, but it's like, what, would you like to eat if you weren't constrained by what you thought you should eat Yes, in order to be healthy on a busy day? It's so true. Like, I think everyone has this mind and I see this in some folks I work with and also my friends. It's like, they have this idea of what their like eating should look like. And it shouldn't always be cooked at home and it should be from a local source and it should, you know, there are all these shoulds. And then I come in and I'm here preaching how much I love Trader Joe's frozen aisle. Like, I love that because I'm a queen of convenience and I need that in my life. Like frozen food, yummy. I love that. I love the pre-chopped stuff. I will chop things, but even then. And then microwavable, you name it. I am completely here for it. So I'm so glad you're a fan of those too. Yeah, I think it's a way of making feeding ourselves in that process easier, especially in those moments. And so it can be an act of self-care. And then conversely, if that's going on for all the time, right, then you can say, oh, an act of self-care might be to be curious, gently curious about why is this happening? How is this making me feel? If I'm not feeling so good after eating these things, what else would I like to eat, right? And how do I make those things easier? And how do I make those things more exciting or faster or whatever it is? And not just frozen stuff. Canned stuff is great. You know, pantry, like if you have that in your capacity, stock a pantry with things, not just things that you think you should have in a pantry. Like don't look up a general list. Stock it with stuff that you use, right? So 
if you always go for pasta, make sure you have a couple of pastas in your area so that you can use those when things get tough. And then make sure you're putting that on a list so that you remember to go get some more after you use it. <laughs> That's so helpful because I find there is literally nothing worse than being hungry and feeling like you don't have any options in the house or because you don't feel like cooking, right? Or you don't feel like putting the effort in. And so for me, like I always try to have that box of pasta, a few boxes of pasta, some leftovers. I'm a huge leftovers girl because there is something intuitive about like meeting yourself where you're at in the moment. So like me working during the day, sometimes I just can't sit down and even prepare a sandwich for myself. I'd rather just microwave like some leftovers from dinner last night. And I will take more time to cook. And then other times there are times I just, you know, need something easy. Yeah, it varies, right? Like everything else in our lives, it's okay to have that up and down and the fluctuation of your needs and what might match those needs over time, right? That's okay. Yeah. Because we're not machines. I've been intuitively like checking in with myself too about what I need with food. And I'm realizing for lunch, like I'm into like actual hot lunches. And I think a lot of people with eating disorders are like, they think they just have to be cold all the time. But I'm here for like the lunches that feel like dinners these days. I don't know. It's just like a little side note there. For some reason, I'm like thinking all about my own patterns here. But back to the conversation, you know, I also think like when we talk about busyness and the need for like making things easier for ourselves in the moment on busy days or difficult days, So many people say that they just don't have time for breakfast in the morning. And so, like, do you have convenient ideas for people who say they don't have time for breakfast or maybe they're not a cool breakfast person, but they're in recovery and should be having something in the morning? Or maybe they're not hungry in the morning. Like, what advice do you have in that realm? Yeah, so I think those are all different scenarios. The thing that ties them all together is... (laughs) it's okay to let go of what you think a breakfast food should be. So the people who, you know, don't like breakfast foods or breakfast is not for them because of a preference thing, what would you like to eat in the morning? Eat that, right? (laughs) If you're not hungry in the morning and like some people wake up a little nauseated in the morning, get something in your stomach gentle that it will sit okay. It could be a piece of toast. It could be, you know, a little bit of rice. It could be Maybe a little bit of a breakfast drink or like some kind of smoothie or something, if that settles okay. Oftentimes liquids go a little easier. You know, do some of those alternate things, right? Not because you're not trying to eat, but because you want to settle your stomach and then wait until it feels settled enough to be able to eat a full meal. If you aren't as hungry, but you're not feeling sick, you might want to look at how much you ate last night. Because sometimes if we're staying up really late or we're eating really late at night, we won't be hungry in the morning or maybe not. This doesn't always apply to people in recovery. Often in recovery, our signals aren't as reliable, not because, you know, it's your fault, you're broken or anything like that. That's just how our bodies work. So we are going to need to have some, a little bit of like a jump start to get us going. And so eating by the clock can actually be a really helpful tool Like, hey, I'm going to eat a little bit of snack, not so much that I'm going to feel like so stuffed or sick, right? But I'm going to eat according to the plan. And you can talk to the people who are making your plan with you and say like, hey, I don't really like these typical breakfast foods. 
which varies by region and like around the world. So that's what I'm saying. Like there is no breakfast food, like one breakfast food. It doesn't exist all the way around the world, right? Like sometimes eggs are breakfast food. Sometimes eggs are dinner food. Like it's not the same everywhere. Beans can be a breakfast food, like really anything. So figure out with them, like what meets the criteria that they want in a meal and then just eat that instead. Like things that fit that, but that you like, right? So it's okay to make that your own. And if you're in a rush, you know, it can be anything quick. So it could even be a bar. It's okay to eat bars or some other kind of like quick snack thing that you like that has enough, you know, maybe a bar plus a smoothie or a bar plus something or things like that. Like it's okay. Mm -hmm. I like how the general theme of this episode is turning into checking in with yourself and knowing yourself enough to know what you like, right? And being open to that being the correct answer instead of the wrong answer because of everything you're told that you should be doing. Yes, yes, yeah. And as we reestablish those cues, right, as we're nourishing our body, those cues often get a little bit clearer. And so Mm -hmm. then we'll have more information. And because I think a lot of times people will say like, but I don't actually know what I want. And then that becomes a stressor. And then you're like sitting there trying to decide what you want. And then it's like so stressful, you're not hungry anymore. That's okay. Like, it's okay to just eat something. It doesn't have to be the thing that you really love the most ever. Even if you're not totally in the mood for it, if it's not going to turn you completely off from food in that moment, sure, eat that, right? Like sometimes nourishment as self-care is just a practical choice. It doesn't have to be like the best meal ever. Right. That is another amazing point. And I think people put food on a pedestal, especially in recovery. They want every meal to be the best meal ever. And that is just not real world. (laughs) Like some food moments are going to be pretty neutral, pretty boring, non-glamorous. They're just practical choices. And that's part of intuitive eating too. So I'm really grateful you could give us that reminder. Wow, this has flown by as far as interviews go. Could you please just share maybe... For those who are just starting their journey with intuitive eating, what are some of the first steps people can do to start taking care of themselves in a more intuitive way, mind, body, spirit? Sure. I think one is kind of a recap, right? Checking in with yourself more often helps you access Mm -hmm. your body's internal cues about like, what do you actually need? What's missing? What's too much? what's going on right now. And then you can figure out from there a little bit more because you'll have more information. The second is, you know, making sure that you are meeting the physical needs, but also remembering that you are more than just the physical body, that you have, you know, different components of your life. And so when you think about, you know, are you nourishing yourself socially? Are you connected to people? Are you nourishing yourself emotionally? How are you dealing with those emotions? Are you nourishing yourself from an occupational standpoint? Like, are you feeling fulfilled in that realm of your life? Are you doing things so that you can learn more, right? Even the continuing eds, like we were talking about, that can be a really interesting point of self-care. You know, just going through the different areas of your life and saying like, how am I doing in these areas and how can I expand this or how can I nourish that part so that I feel a little more satisfied? Because that's really the piece that, a lot of us are missing is like, hey, let me check in and then let me figure out, right? Creatively experimenting. How can I increase my satisfaction in this area? 
Mm, satisfaction is a huge component. And it's a very healing piece of the puzzle, right? Being able to like check in, get to know yourself. And then another level is really knowing where you are satisfied and what satisfies you in the moment. And I'm so glad you brought that up here because that's when things start to feel really good, you know? (laughs) Well, I really appreciate your tips today and the conversation and all of these really positive reminders about the importance of rest and, you know, keeping your productivity in check and self-care and nourishment. That's all so important. And if people want to hear more from you on their path, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. My website is confidentnutritionnow.com. Most of my contact information, links to social and all that are there. And you can also sign up for my mailing list. I have a email list that comes out, I say weekly-ish because, you know, let's be realistic. So weekly-ish email newsletter that comes out too. And if you're a new subscriber for that, I send the Silencing the Food Police PDF resource that I have as well. So that can be very helpful, especially if you have other people around you who are commenting on your body or what you're eating or things like that. Like it gives you a little script ideas of how to respond to those things. Ooh, I like that one. That's so cool. I hope that people take advantage of all your resources because you are just lovely and so supportive to folks in the space and the listeners today. So Shelly, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you and I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thanks, Meg. You too. All right, that concludes this week's episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the show. When you have a moment, please head on over to Instagram and follow my recovery coaching account at Meg underscore McCabe to stay up to date on everything I'm doing in recovery land. And if you're feeling extra inspired, please send me a direct message to let me know how this podcast has impacted your life. I'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week.